I'm Sarah. I'm Erica. And I'm Steve. So friends, we're um, in our third episode of a newer series uh, for this summer, something a little bit more lighthearted than our last series, where we've been looking at our summer self-care playlist. And so we've been talking about those things that we turn to, um, some sort of media, whether it be books, movies, TV shows, um, that just kind of help us to unwind in the craziness that is ministry and life in summer. Um, we've spent some time talking about rom-coms and com-roms, maybe, <laughs> more comedy than ro- romance stuff. Um, between Sarah and I, we apparently we have more um, common interests than what I thought originally. But Steve, where are you going to take us today? Well, you know, when I think of stories about princesses and diaries <laughs> and people falling in love, I also think about seven-footed aliens who communicate with symbolic language, because um, that's the sort of person I am. So this will be one of those series that that um, highlights to our listeners that we have a, a, a wide variety of pop culture tastes. Um, so I have been working through a collection of short stories called Stories of Your Life by Ted Chang um, and was first um, aware of that because a few years ago, maybe 2016, 2017, a movie came out that I absolutely love called The Arrival. Uh, and the movie has Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. And this story, the, the story of this movie was so fascinating to me. And then I saw it was based on the short story that... Um, I got to a point uh, later this spring where I thought, man, this would be a time I'd love to read the original that it came from, see what it's like, uh, especially because so many times in life you read the book and the movie and you go, wow, the, the book was so much better, richer, deeper. And I, so um, I wanted to, and I wanted to see what his style was like and to read other things by him as well, if, if, if I liked it. And I figured at least I liked the concept of this, this story that became the movie Arrival that um, I wanted to, to see more about how this particular writer explored things. And um, the, the, that particular story that, that, that drove me and that the story that becomes the movie Arrival, the, the premise is um, uh, here on earth one day out of nowhere, these uh, spaceships appear over different points of the earth. And in the movie version of it, um, the, uh, these spaceships, uh, you can uh, walk into them once every day. There's like a, a panel or a, a door that opens and humans can go inside. And there's a way to communicate with the aliens who are inside. But these aliens obviously don't speak any language like human language. And so in some ways, it's a story about the language expert and the science expert they bring in to try and figure out how can we communicate with the aliens. Um, and of course, there's the sub themes of the military don't want, don't let the aliens learn anything about us, they'll conquer us. And the, how can we learn from them without giving away things about ourselves? Uh, but the, the, the thing that's, that's fascinating to me is these aliens, it is uh, uh, discovered, communicate with a kind of language that instead of writing like left to right, top to bottom in linear fashion, their language forms are circular. And the way words and ideas are formed are like doodle, would, would, to us look, would look like doodles on the edge of a circle. And they kind of like blow these things that look like smoke rings. And the, the patterns in these smoke rings are their ways of communicating. And the more the, um, 
narrator character, the main character, Amy Adams in the movie, experiences the language of these aliens, she comes to perceive time differently the way these aliens do. The aliens don't perceive time in a linear way. They sort of experience everything all at once and can relate to reality differently because their language works differently. Um, and so she is then able to see past events and future events uh, that haven't happened or things that are way distant. And the, the story the, in, in, the, in the short story sort of breaks up and flashes backward and forward. And you don't exactly realize how that's happening until you realize what's happening to her. The movie does uh, flash forwards and flashbacks, but it doesn't tell you that that's what's happening until later on you go, oh my goodness, this whole time we've been experiencing things in her future and things in the past. So that eventually the main character and the scientist she's been working with, they have a romance and they have a child together. And this child you learn over the course of the story is going to die at some point prematurely. Like in, I think she's a teenager in the story, in the movie, and maybe she's a young adult in the, in the original short story. And then part of this, this uh, whole story becomes is it is it worth doing something even if you know it's going it's not going to end well or is it worth doing something even if you know how it ends and there's pain in it so like this main character because she's exposed to this other way of of language and now it comes to experience time in a non-linear way knows in advance and has kind of experienced in advance her romance with this guy is going to fall apart and the child is going to die at some point and will she still go on with her life will she still do do it and go through it in any way in the movie, it's finally revealed at the end, the aliens have come to Earth not to conquer or to, to har you know, harass us or abduct us, but in their experience of time, they are aware that at some point in the future, their species is going to need humanity and to collaborate, and they've come to give us their language so that we can communicate when that day comes. Um, and I just, I love that whole idea. There's this future that's out there, and living in light of a future you aren't in yet, but that you know is on the way. Like for me, I just love that whole concept. So that, that story just uh, piqued my interest. And uh, I, I wanted to read more by this author. And it was a really, really cool example where the, 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 the story is richer in some ways than the movie. The movie goes in some different directions uh, and, and sort of streamlines a couple of plot things in a way that works for a movie. And I like the choice they made there, but I also like the depth that he can get into in the short story where there's stuff, there's, there's it, he actually gets into like nitty gritty scientific stuff in this short story um, that would be terribly boring in a movie, uh, but works really well in a short story. And it, it, it was just fantastic to read a short story like that that made me think in a new way and made me think in that bigger sense about how our language affects the way we perceive reality. Also, the aliens have seven feet, and that's cool. <laughs> so are all of the short stories in this series deal with this alien species and how they perceive time, or is that just no, no, one that was, short that was just, story? That was just one. So, like, this is what was, it's been cool about digging into this anthology of his short stories, uh, is that, like, each one builds a world. And after I read that first, uh, that uh, or after I, I was familiar with this, this particular story, I was kind of curious, is, uh, is he going to be, you know, a, a one-trick pony? Is he, he can just tell stories about aliens landing? And the first, the actual first uh, story in this compilation was called The Tower of Babylon. And like, man, this sounded interesting. And the, the, the story he calls The Tower of Babylon is literally imagining what it would have been like if the actual Tower of Babylon from the Tower of Babylon in Genesis, what, 10 or 11, was built. And he imagines 
um, that they are on the plains of Shinar. There is this giant tower that reaches all the way up to heavens. And the, the point of view character in that story comes from a mining town because they've gotten so high on this tower, they've reached the vault of heaven and they are now going to need miners to crack through the vault of heaven. So like, it's a story that actually is set in like an ancient Babylonian cosmology. And like that, that's, that's the creativity of this author. That instead of going, no, there's just space and planets out there. He's like, what if the world actually was what the ancient Babylonians imagined that there was like a firm firmament or you know like a rigid vault when you if you get up high enough um and so he does this fantastic job imagining the whole you know ecosystem the whole culture of like a, a tower that that's tall there's people who live their entire lives just going up and down this tower and it takes months and months and months for a wagon full of materials to get carted up and he's got a whole system of people who live their whole lives on this tower people who work at the bottom and you know their whole work is going up a month's journey and then back down with an empty cart and going back up people who are further further up and uh, spoiler alert, because this, this part of the, the, the story is so cool, I have to tell you. Um, at the end of the story, they actually crack through to the vault of heaven. And they are worried in this story that, if, that there might be water up there. Because this story also imagines that there had been the big flood like the Noah flood earlier. And they're like, well, we, what if we get up there and we crack through there's a bunch of water? We don't want to flood everything, you know, like happened before. And so they build these like... Uh, like spill off chambers and their tunnel at the top of the tower to let water spill off in case there would be water up there. And uh, the one character gets through and in, and when a, when a, a, a water uh, surge comes, instead of going back down the tower, because that would be a dead end, he actually goes up through, climbs all the way up through to what's on the other side of this vault of heaven. And when he comes to, after the you know, water washes over him, realizes he's on the ground and can see the Tower of Babel in the distance. So the, this whole universe that he's created curves in on itself. And at the end, again, this is this delightful idea for someone who's not trying to write quote unquote Christian fiction or even theistic fiction. But he suggests at the end, maybe the reason God was opposed to us building towers is that we keep imagining that heaven and earth are at opposite ends, but they are connected intimately. And he sort of imagines like those old um, clay tablets that the Babylonians would use that you'd like mm -hmm. roll an image on, you know, and says, you know, when you roll that stamp out, there's, it looks like there's something that's at the top and something that's at the bottom, but really they touch because it's all on a cylinder. And so he imagines maybe the problem is we keep imagining God is up there distant and we're down here that heaven is way removed from us but really they they touch um and that our our notion of we need to keep building towers to reach up to god flies in the face of no god is right here among us right at our level um and it was just a fascinating story and he's not writing with like a, a particular religious axe to grind or agenda like he's not writing saying i'm trying to convince people of christianity i'm not even sure what his faith or spirituality is at all but that he's willing to imagine or explore those questions just fascinating to me he dabbles with with ideas of like the existence of the divine in a couple of other stories as well and not in easy ways like the, the one I, I tend to be really really antsy about christian about fiction that's labeled as christian because i have like so often it's mm -hmm. either poorly written or they have a theological agenda that gets in the way of actually telling a story or uh it, it just feels so ham-handed or i want to critique the theology all the way through that i can't stand to read it um, so for me, it's helpful from time to time to read somebody who is willing to ask big, meaningful, existential, godly religion kind of questions, but doesn't feel like they're doing propaganda. It doesn't feel like, and I, at the end, I have to 
you know, explain why that's why you should be a Christian. I, again, I'm not sure that's exact that that's at all where he's at, but he raises questions that people of faith have to be willing to explore. You know, there's there's another story of his um, that I think is called "Hell is the Absence of God," and it imagines a world where it is painfully obvious to everybody that God is real and angels and demons are real because angels from time to time visit earth. And anytime they land or do something on earth, it causes both miracles and horrible accidents for people. Like, you know, anytime an angel touches down, there's car accidents from the, you know, the fire and the smoke and all this sort of stuff. But also sometimes people are randomly healed. Um, and in the, in, in the course of this story, it sort of, it forces you to explore is our faith just about, uh, I believe in God because it will get me something like the cure for my miracle, you know, uh, for, for my illness, uh, or will I believe in God or love God apart from what I get out of it? Um, and it's, it's the kind of, of questions that church folk aren't often good at asking because we're, we're uncomfortable asking those kind of questions. And so much religious fiction doesn't want to explore those kind of questions because there's no real good, easy, feel good kind of answer sometimes to exploring theodicy and tragedy. Um, and it was really helpful for me, at least really intriguing for me, at least to, to read somebody exploring those questions without feeling like they had to circle back at the correct answer they learned out of the catechism. So I, going back to the arrival where we started with the, yeah. with the movie and the book, I, I love that, that question that he raises about like, is, is doing x worth it knowing that y is going to happen because yep. of it yep 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 um because like you said steve we're, we're not good in the church um talking about those you know like even when because we, we obviously can't see into the future but when mm -hmm. something has happened and we realize mm -hmm. oh our actions caused this to happen mm -hmm. um we we don't want to talk that way and i i find it fascinating that you know, you said you don't know um, Ted's, you know, spirituality, you know, if he's a Christian, non-Christian, you know, whatever faith he may or may not follow. Um, and yet he raises some really strong theological questions, it sounds like, mm -hmm. in his writings. Um, that would probably be helpful for us to, you know, as Christians to, to explore and, and fiction might be a good way to do that. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's been helpful for me about reading authors like him, and this collection has been good as far as I've gotten into it so far, I'm about two thirds of the way through this particular collection of his. Um, but it's it's that that notion of a mentor of mine used to use the phrase faithful imagination and like mm -hmm. the idea of being willing to ask questions, even if they are uncomfortable or feel like they take us to where there might be dragons, um, without the immediate fear of you can't say that because that's, that goes against, you know, what, what I learned in church, like, okay, this is a, a story allows sort of a thought experiment about, well, what if this, or what if that, and how, how does that make me re-examine, you know, my understanding of the universe? Um, and, and for me, the, the whole idea of, in this particular story, a non-linear experience of time is actually been like a really important theme in my developing of, of faith as well because i think so often we paint ourselves on the corner and our understanding of god when we sort of imagine that god experiences time in a linear way too mm -hmm. and like anytime we get ourselves worked up about um you know uh, uh god knowing the future or god you know does god uh love us because he knows we'll be good in the future and like that again sort of puts god in the box of god has to experience time the way we do rather than God yeah. being beyond our experience of time altogether. And that maybe sometimes the, the quandaries we experience in the tension between free will and divine sovereignty 
are really only problems if you're limited to linear time. And if you mm -hmm. are a God or a being who exists outside of linear time or experiences it differently, that's, that's helpful. It, it, to me, it's also helpful too to explore. And I, I only know just enough about modern science to be dangerous, but like one of the things I have this vague understanding of is that um, in, in fields like physics, there's like the standard model with Einstein. And then there's things like quantum mechanics, which mm -hmm. are two different modes of explaining reality. And sometimes they are at odds with each other about how the universe should work or how to explain things. And yet each one works in its own realm. And like, how do you reconcile them? Well, the, the, this story is a way of, of exploring that sometimes the way you, the language you use helps make sense of reality, but once you've, once you've accepted a particular language or model, it's, it will shape the way you see everything else. Kind of mm -hmm. like the way scientists talk about light sometimes behaves like a particle and sometimes behaves like a wave. And we want to go, well, which is it? And both and sort of are, are kind of the answer. Uh, th this was a story about, well, it, sometimes we do experience time in a linear way and there are characters who do. And then also, but time, what if at the very same time, time can also be experienced in a non-linear way? How would that make it? So it's been fascinating to help me think out my faith in those ways. So all I can really think to ask you is something I think you've kind of already answered, but does this connect to your faith? Or is this just, you know, good entertainment? Well, no, and I, I, I appreciate you asking it that way because, yeah, I and I, I when I when I when I first went to the, the theaters to see this movie, um, and it, it's funny to talk about going to see the, the movie in the theater because it was before COVID entire. So it was just like, yeah, of course I went to the theater to see it because that, yeah, that's what we did. <laughs> um, but I remember, and it was it was a day that our kids had school but but my wife had the day off or something so like we actually took a day and saw it in a matinee somewhere and like i am just a nerd for I, i'm interested in science fiction and especially space and especially i'm interested in stories that aren't already part of some franchise because it feels like okay mm -hmm. i get how star wars works i'll watch star wars shows but like i know what to expect there it doesn't have surprises for me anymore um but something that was entirely new and wasn't you know based off of uh a nine-part cinematic universe or something like that I was curious to see what it was going to be like and um uh then when I when I saw it and it raised all these really interesting questions for me it was like bonus wow this is deep and it made me think and it wasn't just cool aliens it was it was thoughtful and and insightful and in some ways it's the even even the way the, the story is framed that it's about this mom looking you're reflecting on her child uh, even though the aliens are a part of it. And even the, the, the title of the original story is story of your life. Cause it's the, it's the mom talking to the child about like periodically through the narratives, like you're eight years old now, or you haven't even been born yet. Or you, now I'm at, you know, you're 20 years old or something like that. And like, it's almost like the aliens are incidental to the story of the daughter's life. Um, and yet the alien, it's, it's, it's an alien story. And yet it's also about this mom and the daughter. Um, but I, I, it raised so many really, really interesting questions to me that I've, I wanted to engage and see whether this particular author would ask questions I hadn't even thought to ask yet um, about philosophy and the universe and the meaning of life. And as somebody, yeah, who, who also has uh, faith as, a, as an important piece of my life, it feels like it's worth having a faith that's willing to ask those big questions, even if you don't feel like uh, you landed um, permanent final fixed answers to them. And I guess to me that that's one of the things that, that is, is helpful for me 
because the, the role of us as pastors, and I, I don't know to what degree each of you might, might also feel this, so I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'll say for me sometimes, it feels like the role of pastor is sometimes we're called upon, or people assume that our job is to give a definitive answer on X or Y or Z topic. Mm-hmm. So pastor, preach a sermon on this and tell us what we're supposed to think about this. Or you know, let's have a Bible study on this and tell us once and for all what the answer is for this. And sometimes it feels like, yes, there are ways we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. For 2,000 years, Christians have been answering questions, and there's some places where, yeah, we're pretty solid on this. Or, you know, should we love your neighbor? Yep, it turns out we're real solid on that. Um, But the other parts of our faith are less about arriving at the answer and more about the the relational journey. I mean, not not to get all all nostalgic or cliche, but, like, it's not about... Did you did you land at the correct answer so much as this engaging with the living God in the world along the way? And that that's essential part of, of what it is to have faith. And so to have voices that help us to ask the questions that we either are afraid to ask because we're not sure there will be solid answers or that we never even thought to ask before. That to me, that's that's helpful. It, it helps stretch my faith so that it doesn't just become a rote recitation of here's the catechism memorize it, see you in heaven. And I think sometimes in traditions, especially like ours, that have a catechism, which can be a useful tool, but can sometimes be like, that's where the answers are. Memorize that and you'll be good. As though the only possible questions of faith you could ask are ones that were raised 500 years ago by Martin Luther. Um, it's helpful to say, no, there's going to be new questions to ask and how do we engage them? So fiction can be one way for me, at least, especially science fiction, because it's willing to ask those kind of questions is helpful in, in my faith that way. Reminds me of a line of Frederick Beekner's who says that doubt are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. Um, and I like that idea that like if, if our if our understanding of faith is simply here's a finished product, we've missed something. But if, if it's moving and sometimes that means there's tension, there's question, there's ambiguity, there's wrestling. That's also a, those are signs of life. So, Steve, we're calling this series our summer self-care playlist. And. And, and maybe just because I related more to, to Sarah's, even though I didn't think at first I did, you know, like for me, my self-care playlist was shutting my brain off, mm-hmm. you know, where yours seems very much to just engage and bring up new questions. So, and for, for me in general, self-care means just kind of shutting down and mm-hmm. just turning my brain off for a day, or at least trying my best to do that. Yeah. Um, so how is this, how is this self-care for you? Cause I mean, like, that's not what I would consider like I, all the thinking and processing and the questions that come up. I, I get, enjoy that kind of stuff, but it's not necessarily self-care for me. I, I get that. And I, I guess I would say for me, what, what makes it uh, restorative for me is um, that it is so different and is such a change of pace from the rest of regular life. So like, um, uh, the, I mean, again, even just the act of reading is relaxing, regardless of what I'm reading, just because, yeah. of, man, it's nice to be able to put my feet up and to be reading. Um, and sometimes it's just just being able to turn off one part of my brain to, to think in different ways can be helpful, okay. to, you know, like, so like the fact that at the end of reading a short story, I don't have to then write an agenda for a committee meeting or write a report or something like, I think that would kill the joy for me, but just, and, and I think I like that at the end, 
I don't have to write a sermon about it, but it just, it's it, it like when, mm-hmm. when I write, you know, when I, whether I'm working on a Bible study or preaching or writing devotions, there's a sense of once you engage with the material, whether it's a Bible verse or a story or whatever, then I've got to synthesize and say, well, what do I have to say about it? And just reading a story, it's just, oh, I don't have to tell anybody else. It's just the question needs to percolate for a while. And sometimes I don't even have real good words to formulate the question. It's just, huh, that made me think in a new way. That, that, that's helpful for yeah. me. And I, I was noticing um, a couple weeks back, I've been working in our backyard building a playground for our kids. And um, even just the the sheer physicality that is not usually a part of my regular daily work of getting out the saws mm-hmm. and setting the, the footers on the concrete and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's such a different part of my regular experience that like, even though I should be dog tired at the end of a hot day doing that, like it was invigorating in a whole different way because it was just not the yeah. usual part of my brain and not having to deal with the usual you know stuff of people or you know, that kind of stuff. So I guess I think that's that's another way where in a weird way I'd look and say yeah an afternoon spent working on that feels like self care in a weird way because uh, it it let me do something that was not about the produ- the productivity related to a job in a church life but just a different uh, exercising a different part of my brain I guess so I think this these stories work the same way for me oh, and, I, and I get the physical labor part because you you see a finished project yeah you know, mm-hmm. a product when you're done unlike a lot of the work that we do as religious professionals yeah we don't get to see a finished product when right, we're done. right right um at least not the side of eternity but I think it's helpful to hear like like I said I kind of have this mental idea at least for myself of what self-care looks like and it's different for every person so to mm-hmm. hear somebody say that physical work or mental work that's not the mental work that you do day in and day out for your job mm-hmm. can also be self-care as well which I think would be helpful for our listeners to hear that so they can be you know like okay I'm not crazy for finding this refreshing and rejuvenating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when other people were like, how, how, how is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would even argue that self-care doesn't have to be re- refreshive or restorative. Um, yeah, yeah. sometimes self-care for me is to take an hour and fold the many loads of laundry that has collected mm-hmm. in my bedroom throughout the week, because then I know I can go to bed with a you know, with all the laundry put away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily restorative to me to like fold and put away the laundry. But then that knowing that it's done. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think that that's a piece of it. That, that, that there's, there's a change from the usual rhythm, even mm-hmm. if it's doing laundry instead of church work or whatever. And also like that there are like that there, there's, there's like this, this, psychic weight on our mental list of if there's stuff that get, that, that's left undone you know and so like yeah. i can get it sometimes checking those little things off the list like mm-hmm. uh, yeah there's something that feels good about okay i did that and that's done now so maybe it wasn't fun in the doing but i have that that much less weight on my shoulders now because i'd be like okay that's checked off and done and now my brain is fresh to do whatever the next thing is yeah i think that's yes exactly yeah. yeah you can you can sleep a little bit better knowing that it's done yeah i mean i tend to spend a at least a portion of my Sabbath every week doing things like laundry or cleaning mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've had friends say, well, that's not Sabbath because you're working. I'm like, it's Sabbath for me because then I have a clean house. Mm-hmm. I have a tidy house. It makes me feel better about my life sure. because I'm not surrounded by clutter. Yeah. <laughs> like I have been in the midst of this poop, you know, 
I'll be happy when everything's unpacked because then like I won't have clutter anymore. <laughs> I even think about like, and this may be some of the mentality behind in the strands of Buddhism that do things like those um, rock gardens, you know, where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. and like it, it's clearly work, it's labor, we, it, it's yard work with rocks, you know, except like it's sometimes, sometimes it's the creation of order out of chaos or the, this is something that allows us to simply be present in this moment. And isn't it nice for making nice straight lines with a little rock break. And, and like, it, it, I don't think anybody would say that that cosmically changes the universe, but for the person who's doing that, Oh, if mm-hmm. that helps them to be recentered, uh, and I think that's very much about part of that spirituality. That maybe uh, discovering that kind of spirituality in the putting away of laundry and the you know, folding of sock balls or whatever has a similar kind of effect. That it can be yeah. good for self care, good for the, the the deepest part of ourselves, even if it looks just like boring chores. Well, thank you, at- you so much, Steve, for sharing this author with us. Like I. Uh-huh rarely think for for something like the the movie the arrival to think oh this is based off of a movie or a book let me go track it down but uh this set of short stories because i looked it up on goodreads looks amazing yeah so thank you so much for sharing with us thanks for being willing to listen to me and the seven footed aliens (laughs) (laughs) thanks everybody for listening in and then we hope you join us next time here on crazy faith talk see y'all bye Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.